Hello, everyone, and welcome to the July 15th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Skarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. A federal judge blocked a key rule about drug price disclosures just hours before it was scheduled to take effect. The court sided with a coalition of drug companies and blocked the Trump administration from implementing a policy that would have required prescription drug manufacturers to disclose list prices in television ads. Drug makers Merck, Eli Lilly, Amgen, and the National Association of Advertisers filed a lawsuit claiming that the disclosure rule was unlawful. They argued that the rule exceeds the HHS authority because Congress neither expressly nor impliedly granted HHS the power under the Social Security Act to regulate drug marketing. They also said that the rule compelled speech that violates the First Amendment. And the court agreed with the first argument and found that HHS lacks the statutory authority under the Social Security Act to adopt the disclosure rule. The court went on to conclude that no matter how vexing the problem of spiraling drug costs might be, HHS cannot do more than what Congress has authorized. The responsibility rests with Congress to act in the first instance. It is not immediately clear how the administration will proceed, but the ruling threatens to rob President Trump of an important victory in the fight over excessive drug costs. Drug companies fought the rule from the start, arguing it would confuse customers because a drug's list price, which does not reflect the discounts negotiated with insurers or through patient assistance programs, is often higher than what the patient actually pays. The administration and Congress are working on other drug pricing initiatives, but this decision is certainly a setback for the administration. The decision is thought to be a, a pyrrhic victory, however, because it now would likely spur Congress to act. Bipartisan legislation has already been introduced by the Senate Finance Committee that would codify the HHS regulation into law. A companion bill is now passing through the House. The parent company of drug maker Invidior has agreed to pay a $1.4 billion settlement to resolve its potential criminal and civil liability related to the marketing of the opioid addiction treatment drug Suboxone. This resolution is the largest recovery in a case concerning an opioid drug. Suboxone is a drug approved for use by recovering opioid addicts to avoid or reduce withdrawal symptoms. Suboxone and its active ingredient, bupinorphine, are powerful and addictive opioids. A federal grand jury indicted Invidior last April for allegedly engaging in an illicit nationwide scheme to increase prescriptions for their drug Suboxone. Prosecutors say Invidior promoted the film version of Suboxone as less divertible and less abusable and safer around children, families, and communities than other brupinorphine drugs. 
However, such safety claims have never been established. The indictment further alleges that NVIDIA touted its here-to-help internet and telephone program as a resource for opioid-addicted patients. But instead, NVIDIA used the program to connect patients to doctors it knew were prescribing Suboxone and other opioids to patients at high doses and in a careless and clinically unwarranted manner. The indictment also alleges that NVIDIA announced a discontinuance program of its tablet form of Suboxone based on supposed concerns regarding pediatric exposure to tablets. However, it was discovered that the primary reason for the discontinuance was to delay the Food and Drug Administration's approval of generic tablet forms of the drug. NVIDIA's scheme was highly successful, converting thousands of opioid-addicted patients over to the Suboxone film. And a $6 million fraud verdict against a sham attorney law firm has been affirmed by the Court of Appeals. Here's what happened in the case of People v. Sue. Christine Sue was not an attorney and was not otherwise authorized to represent anyone with claims against Allstate Insurance Company. But she overcame that obstacle by creating and operating eight sham law firms with help from her mother and co-defendant Christina Chang. Sue paid several attorneys a monthly fee of $3,000 to use their names and state bar numbers. Sue and Chang then procured Allstate's insureds as clients and then filed 318 insurance claims on their behalf without the knowledge of these attorneys. The two then diverted the insurance proceeds to their personal use. So Allstate Insurance Company sued them under the Insurance Frauds Prevention Act on behalf of the people of the state of California. A jury found in favor of Allstate and imposed over $6 million in civil penalties. So Sue appealed this judgment, arguing that the trial court should have stayed this action pending a resolution of a criminal investigation of her conduct. She also argued that the insurance claims they submitted to Allstate were not fraudulent because although the insurers were not actually represented by attorneys, the information in the claims form was accurate. The Court of Appeal affirmed the judgment in the published case of People v. Sue. The court said that Sue and Chang read the insurance fraud statutes too narrowly. Unlawful conduct does not require a misstatement of fact in the insurance claim. An insurance claim is fraudulent when it is characterized in any way by deceit. And now our crime report. A nine-year veteran of the Los Angeles Police Department, whose last assignment was with the Valley Traffic Division, has pleaded no contest to workers' compensation fraud. 48-year-old Jason Gordon was placed on three years of summary probation and is required to complete 300 hours of community service. And he must pay more than $12,000 in restitution under the terms of a negotiated plea agreement. Gordon went on workers' compensation leave back in 2016 for an on-the-job injury at the LAPD.
The LAPD's Special Operations Division Workers' Compensation Fraud Unit conducted an investigation, and he was found to be engaged in certain physical activities that were inconsistent with his claimed injury. Investigators worked with the L.A. County District Attorney's Healthcare Fraud Division and the L.A. City Attorney's Office. And in regulatory news, the Trump administration will no longer move forward on a proposed rule to eliminate the arcane rebates that flow from drug makers to middlemen known as pharmacy benefit managers. This is a significant reversal in one of the White House's most sweeping actions to date to curb rising treatment costs. In recent weeks, media reported that the White House and Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar disagreed over the rule, and the proposal had faced resistance from other government officials who claimed that it was too expensive, costing the government nearly $180 billion over the next decade. Some lawmakers also worried that the rule would raise seniors' Medicare Part D premiums. The death of the proposal is also bad news for drug companies and that it is a sign that other Trump administration efforts could move forward, some of which the companies fiercely oppose. Most prominently, the administration has proposed tying some Medicare drug prices to lower prices in other countries, a proposal currently under review at the White House. Democrats, including Speaker Nancy Pelosi, also opposed the rebate rule, favoring more direct actions against drug companies. The White House staff has been in talks with Pelosi's office for months on Medicare negotiating drug prices. And the Trump administration is working on an executive order which would require drug companies to price their medicines based on the lowest amount paid for the same drug by any other nation. Trump said he is going to be announcing something about this very shortly. And he complained that other nations paid less money for drugs than we do, sometimes by 60 to 70 percent. His administration is working on it right now by working on a favored nations clause where we pay whatever the lowest nation price is. And the president said this will happen in the form of an executive order. In October last year, Trump announced a new rule that would bring the prices Medicare pays closer to what other countries pay and save taxpayers an estimated $17.5 billion over the next five years. The president unveiled the rule after HHS estimated the United States is paying on average almost two times what other countries are paying. And Congress is cranking up the pressure on the Food and Drug Administration to draft rules to regulate cannabis-based products. Lawmakers legalized the use of hemp-based cannabinol products late last year in the Farm Bill. This sent the FDA scrambling to figure out new rules around regulating a unique product that is both a drug and a dietary supplement. But Congress is signaling that it is growing impatient with the F- as the FDA looks for a solution. And Congress may not wait on the sidelines for much longer. 
The general counsel for the industry advocacy group U.S. Hemp Roundtable said some lawmakers have been privately circulating potential legislation, but he does not expect any formal push from Congress until at least later this fall while they wait and see if the FDA will act. The FDA held a public hearing at the end of May, and experts and industry representatives said it was a good start, but people who attended the meeting said they left without any new sense of the agency's timing on creating new regulations. During the 10-hour hearing, the acting FDA commissioner made no promises about timing, but FDA officials were clear that they wanted more data since the agency was essentially operating in unchartered waters. The FDA wants more information about dosing levels, including how much CBD is safe to consume, and any long-term exposure risks. The agency is also focused on the effects CBD has on children, elderly, and pregnant women. CBD is a derivative from marijuana plant, but does not give users any high. Ever since the Farm Bill passed, CBD products have been appearing online and on the shelves of convenience stores, coffee shops, and nutritional stores in select states. In the meantime, lawmakers from both parties are trying to nudge the FDA to act. A provision in the House appropriations package that passed last month sets aside funding for the FDA to study and set specific levels of CBD to put in food and drinks. CalOSHA has cited two employers after workers were poisoned by carbon monoxide while in a confined space at the San Francisco International Airport. Two plumbers from Gladiator, Rooter, and Plumbing were working in a crawl space replacing underground sewer pipes for an airline catering Gate Gourmet Incorporated. The plumbers were using a gasoline-powered saw to cut through concrete when they were overcome by carbon monoxide gas emitted from this equipment. One of the workers lost consciousness and was hospitalized for two days. Performing work in confined spaces can be deadly, especially when oxygen levels are reduced or when deadly gases are present. Employers must identify and evaluate potential hazards before workers enter confined spaces so they can ensure workers are trained. And a rescue plan must be in place in case of emergency. CalOSHA's investigation found that Gate Gourmet Incorporated did not inform Gladiator, Rooter, and Plumbing that the crawl space was a permit-required confined space, and it did not provide information on the potential hazards posed by entering this space. CalOSHA also found that Gladiator, Rooting, and Plumbing did not have a safety and health program and did not train its workers. In addition, the employer did not develop a confined space program and take steps to mitigate the hazards and did not have a rescue plan. And in medical news, a new study conducted at the University of Liverpool has raised eyebrows by concluding that psychiatric diagnoses are scientifically meaningless and worthless 
as tools to accurately identify and address mental distress at an individual level. Researchers performed a detailed analysis on five of the most important chapters in the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders, also known as the DSM. The DSM is considered the definitive guide for mental health professionals and provides descriptions for all mental health problems and their symptoms. The five chapters analyzed were bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, depressive disorders, anxiety disorders, and trauma-related disorders. Researchers came to a number of troubling conclusions. Perhaps most concerning of all, researchers say that these diagnoses tell us little to nothing about the individual patient and what type of treatments they will need. The authors ultimately conclude that this diagnostic labeling approach is a disingenuous categorical system. Although diagnostic labels create the illusion of an explanation, they are scientifically meaningless and can create stigma and prejudice. The lead researchers hope these findings will encourage mental health professionals to think beyond just diagnoses and consider other explanations of mental distress such as trauma and other adverse life experiences. According to the study's authors, the traditional diagnostic system being used today wrongly assumes that any and all mental distress is caused by a disorder and relies far too heavily on subjective ideas about what is considered normal. This study is published in the scientific journal Psychiatry Research. And in other news, Sedgwick has signed an agreement to acquire York Risk Services Group. Sedgwick will gain more than 60 offices across the U.S. and nearly 5,000 employees, taking its total workforce up to nearly $27,000. The deal would mark Sedgwick's third acquisition of a TPA in five years. The Memphis, Tennessee-based company purchased Cunningham Lindsay in 2018 and Teenage Global Holdings, owner of Veraclaim, in 2014. The Cedric Group president said that the purchase of York will enhance the company's scope of services and improve its access to talent in the claim industry. York is active in some market segments where Cedric has little presence such as with Longshore and Harbor Workers' Compensation and Defense Base Act claims and the administration of group risk pools. He noted that York also is in a strong position as a service provider for public agencies and provides managed care services for other claims administrators. Sedgwick also provides managed care services, but only to clients for whom it adjusts claims. The closing of the transaction is subject to customary conditions and regulatory approvals. The terms of the agreement were not disclosed. Sedgwick is not the only third-party administrator on a buying spree. This month, Fairfax Financial Holdings, Riverstone subsidiary, announced that it has acquired Rockville Risk Management Associates and its sister company, E.R. Quinn Company. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, 
past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Skarin, Manuki, and Langeman. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.